Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Alan Eigel, the developer behind the title known as Fuzz Force Spook Squad. Thanks for joining. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm very excited. You know what's funny? We mentioned right before this, and I always tell people that I, I suck at names. I have the weirdest form of anxiety where anytime I look at the last name of the developers that I'm speaking with, I go through this tiny millisecond of just panic and fear. And I looked at your last name and we had made a joke about how like it should be easy and you'd got a bunch of people that that say it wrong. And I was like, I got this. And then I looked at it and I almost said it incorrectly. So I like... Whew. It's you. I know it doesn't seem like much, and the people listening are probably like, ah, shut up, this means nothing. But I always have a mini panic attack every time I do this. It must be so hard seeing so many names. Um, it can be a little bit. I think the, the biggest part, it's not really that there's so many names. It's the fact that there's so many people from like all around the world, which don't get me wrong, I'm super excited that I get to talk to all of the people from different locations. Like it's nice that I've talked to people in Russia, I've talked to people in UK, I've talked to people in Brazil. But like, because of that, there's so many different names that just would not normally be in my dialect that I see and I'm like, whew, this is going to be a rough one for me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's actually talk about you because you're the star of the show, not me. I'm very excited you agreed because uh, we recently stumbled upon your game and honestly, I love roguelites. Everyone who knows me, knows that I love it. I love tabletop aesthetics. I play a lot of tabletop games. Everyone should also know that. But that being said, something tells me, you know, uh, the combination of this is going to merge very well. And from what I've seen, I'm definitely, definitely excited. Before we get into the game, though, I always like to talk about the actual creators, you know, the people behind the games, though. So let's talk a little bit about you before we dive into the game. So, Alan, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you get into the indie space um, and how did you, you know, maybe like what's your favorite game? How did you get started into gaming? Anything you want to talk about from how you got to today? Uh, sort of from the very beginning, like even when I was younger, I had a big passion with games. My dad generally said, like, oh, if you can't have games, you can't have consoles. So a lot of my childhood was spent hiding Game Boys and N64s away and then getting them out <laughs> when he wasn't around. Wow. So maybe that sort of boosted it a bit because it was like, oh, we got to keep it secret. So it's like a really exciting thing to do. But eventually, <laughs> like, he broke down and it's, it's fine. But when it came to going to university, looking through the brochures, I couldn't really say anything else that I wanted to do beyond video game art. 
So okay. that's what I did. I went to university and did a course which mixed 2D art and 3D art. So it's like lots of life drawing and going out, drawing stuff, and then the 3D art side of modeling all the you know props and characters, everything like that. And then from there, I uh, got a job. Feels like quite a whirlwind job. Like had a phone <laughs> interview, and it's like, yeah, come down, come down to the coast, and yeah, we'll give you another formal interview. And they sort of gave me it straight away. So, and that's where I've been for the last ten years, working on sort of advertising games, mobile games, for the last ten years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's kind of from that where it's getting a bit stale and the games again a bit too casual for my liking that I wanted to branch out and sort of do something a bit meatier something which I'd be enthusiastic about which is quite hard to say about sort of casual idle games or merge games right so it just kind of came from beforehand it was like oh everyone put in some cool game design ideas and maybe we'll work on them so I submitted a whole bunch of them. I even learned a bit of visual scripting in Playmaker to get some stuff realized because regular code was far too much for me at that point. And the visual scripting really helped out. But none of the designs went anywhere. The company just didn't care. <laughs> so, you know, kind of everything got set on the back burner. Right. And then a year later, it just got to that point where I just didn't have that much to do at work. So... I was like, okay, maybe I'll try making some more prototypes. And it's like, oh, why don't I just try learning C-sharp properly? Mm -hmm. And then started doing some tutorials, and it just really started to make sense as I was going along. And I was like, yeah, actually, I feel like feel like I can actually do this. And then just made some small, like small prototypes of just to get an idea of things. And then just like Fuzzfor started, just. <laughs> got the prototype for moving a character around a board and it only came about because I wanted to do like a you roll the dice and then you move that many spaces around mm -hmm. the area but I just couldn't get proper pathfinding in and that's why the game's limited to moving around one space at a time gotcha. but it's kind of helped make it a bit more minesweeper-ish I guess that you sort of plan your route around and yeah so over the last year that's what I've been doing I've just been developing Spook Squad and learning about, you know, marketing and working with other people and bug testing, which is obviously the biggest thing. Trying to resolve my bugs, get like all this art done, you know, just trying right. to get everything. I know everything done in one by myself. Yeah, it's a it's a daunting task. There's a lot to do. People don't really uh, really think about it when you say I want to create a game of just how much really goes into it, whether it's just building the game or the back end of all the logistics that come with it. Um, so I assume based on the conversation, based on, you know, what you just mentioned that this is now more of a full-time project for you. Is that correct? Or is this still more of just working on it in your part-time? Yeah, it's still my spare time. I'm still wow, full, okay. fully employed by my company, but I'm now on furlough, like for the whole, like full time. So I don't actually have to put in any hours at work. Right. So sort of in a way this pandemic was a really good thing for me mm -hmm. just sort of how being able to work from home and just these little bits of furlough have meant that 
I've had so much more time to work on it. The start of last year, when we were, I was in the office every day, I was like, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to get this done. Mm -hmm. Like I barely have the stuff at home. Like I was just trying to squeeze little, little bits in during my lunch break. And it was just a right nightmare. And then it's like, oh, everyone gets to work from home. It's like, oh, I get to take my computer and tablet and everything home. And it's great production, like picked up from there. And yeah, all, all the free time as well. It's just been absolute godsend. <laughs> Well, that's great. I'm I'm glad. You know, it's it's one of the thing about a uh, about a pandemic, right? Of obviously, this is awful. You know, there's it's not a good thing per se, but no, there are so. right. But there are silver linings in it, right? You know, like there's things that you can take away that it's there's positives from this, even if it is a very much so negative thing, right? Yeah, I'm sure so many people have realized that they just don't need to commute anywhere to do their job like so many of their jobs are probably possible from home right yeah um and honestly like you know just as a personal side uh i had a remote job before this so it didn't really affect me too much but my wife specifically started doing remote and we're getting to that light at the end of the tunnel where some people are starting to say like oh we're going to be able to go back into the office now and my wife is one of those people who is just like yeah absolutely not i'm not going back <laughs> which i mean it makes sense you give people that you know that that time and that window and they're still able to do all that work it's kind of hard to justify saying like no you need to be here right yeah seriously like even if you're at home you can just do little bits around the house like mm -hmm. you, you don't end up spending money like getting coffee or getting food all the time oh my goodness you're not saved. commuting you don't really have to get dressed until lunchtime <laughs> it's the best it is very good it is very good um let's let's uh let's you know focus back on the game though uh this brings us to fuzz force which you know you've had that time you've you've now been able to focus and dedicate to the game which is a great thing because we're you know one step closer to actually getting that 1.0 release whatever that might be but um for people who don't know anything about this game uh how would you describe it and what sets it apart from others uh fuzz force spook squad is a deck building roguelite but it uses dice instead of cards to make it a much like easier experience to get into mm -hmm. compared to the other deck building roguelites where you're sort of oh you got you need to know all the cards you need to know how they work together and as you're playing along it's like oh is this a good card to take now or all that stuff so i've right. removed all that gone for dice everyone understands numbers on a dice <laughs> and then as you progress you can see yeah okay i'll use that i'll use this oh, i don't need that anymore this works with that it's all a very straightforward experience to get into right and how did that idea come up because this was actually going to be my next question is really like what was your inspiration for going for a uh, dice combat which you kind of alluded to with the the idea of oh it's it's an easier concept to get into but like what was that main thing where you were building this out and you were like you know what dice that's what it's going to be you know as opposed to something else so to speak it came from when slay the spire released the watcher i was mm -hmm. like oh get back in give that a try and you play the watcher and i just had no idea like you get all these cards about the watcher and it's like it's the calm stance and the other stance and all these attacks and you, 
I was just completely overwhelmed at that mm -hmm. point. I sort of had no idea what cards I should be taking or what works and whether or not something would even work with the other cards that I'd taken. Right. And I was like, well, it would be nice if sort of you didn't need to know all that information. Like you could just pick it up and get into it. And it's very mm -hmm. straightforward to get into experience. Hmm. So the whole game I've sort of tried to focus more towards uh, those sort of newer to roguelites or those who don't like them quite as hard as some of the other deck building roguelites because it can be quite a tough genre right yeah quite hard games in it yeah it's it's a lot of people are, are definitely turned off by the um get good mentality of a lot of the roguelites roguelike uh games in that genre oh, yeah. um but here's here's actually a point that I wanted to talk about, and I think it's a good uh, stepping point from that conversation of wanting to be a bit more accessible. Now, one thing that always concerns me uh, is definitely how a game is perceived, right? You want to be in that realm of either people know that this game is supposed to be a challenge or people know that this game is supposed to be, like you mentioned, an easier uh, intro to this type of genre, right? especially when you're using an element of chance with what items you'll receive, but then also with how well your attacks or defense might be. This is the interesting point, right? Is that a lot of the times with roguelites that are deck builders, you have those cards and you, you take those cards and they always equate to a certain thing, right? It's usually like you're going to attack for X amount, you're going to defend for X amount, where this is a little bit different um, because you're rolling. There's an added element of chance and because of that has there been any concerns or any you know uh concepts around the form of balancing that you had to take into account because some might feel that the game is just too random at times yeah right near the start there was the whole situation of since they're like mario party dice and not just one through six right there are dice with zeros on them ones on them twos on them and in turn-based combat, you only choose one of your skills every turn, and it's like you roll it and you get a zero or one, and that's your turn. It felt mm -hmm. really unsatisfying. <laughs> so brought in just like RPG stats where your character, in addition to having the dice that they've equipped for themselves, they get a dice which has the same number on every side, which is the same as their stat, mm. to balance it out. So if the character is the attack character with three attack as their base stat, they'll always have a dice with three on every face whenever they attack, so that their minimum is always going to be three. Gotcha. To offset like the bad rolls, but also mm -hmm. to compound the good ones. That gives every character a focus rather than, you know, every character just has random dice and there's no sort of role or speciality towards their, towards that character. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That it definitely helps because that was uh, a concern. I think of something like, um, you know, like a dicey dungeons. That was one of the the big things from feedback that I had always seen is is that yes, it was like great, but some elements of it just seemed unfair, so to speak, just because of that randomness. Yeah, from playing it, it you could just get a bunch of completely unusable dice. Mm -hmm. in a lot of situations and only one of the characters can even throw the dice for damage so if right. you get a bunch of dice which you can't even use then it's just sort of surplus you can't do anything with them 
Exactly. Um, so one of the things about this though, is I love the level design. I love the fact that, you know, we were just talking about combat, but there's a secondary part of this where you're actually walking on very much a tabletop style board. Um, having that grid based approach outside of combat, I'm interested to hear why you went for this environment where you're building the map as you journey from left, right, up or down, you know, was there an intention to fit this theme into just say more of the dice rolling aesthetic to it? Or was there another reason that you wanted to have this, this world outside as opposed to, you know, like a slay the spire where it's just, you have that, that basic map and you say like, Oh, I want to go here, here and clicking upwards. The main inspiration for having the overworld was sort of how uninspiring Slay the Spire and Dicey Dungeons overworlds are. Between fights, how there's nothing there. You just click on an icon and that you just go between fights, really. There's nothing else there. So one of the big goals was to have this sort of overworld environment mm -hmm. that you could explore and navigate and choose your own path to the exit. Like, if the stairs spawn right next to the exit, you can just go straight up the stairs. That's up to you. Right, but it, so towards the very start of it as well, it was a board, but it wasn't quite the same. It was just going to be like a forest. I mean, it is a forest now, but <laughs> there was it was a forest that you'd walk through and find swords and shields instead. So it's like a fantasy theme. Hmm. Um, and even from then, it was there were just tiles that you flipped over, but as it went along. It sort of became a bit minesweepery that the tiles around you then showed roughly what was on the tile. Mm -hmm. So you knew there was an enemy there or there was a chest there. And when it flipped over, then it, it was fully revealed. You didn't know before that point exactly what was there. Right. Right. Some but, type of indicator of yeah. you know, the icon of, you know, is this an enemy? Is this a, a, a treasure? Is this XYZ? Yeah. General idea, just so you can way up if you think it's worth it because sometimes it's not like the enemy might be a bit too tough for you the chest could be a mimic but from yeah kind of from the dice point it then it just rolled i mean pardon the pun it just <laughs> rolled into like this complete board game thing right the, the little story events come out of this book and you're like rolling dice and it's turned into a sort of board game that now sits on a table and outside mm. of the table there's all the game components as if you were playing the game and then there's the book there that has like the rules and the events in it the dice bag you get your dice out of your character sheet when you defeat the enemies in battle they get taken off the board and put to the side so you can see which enemies you've beaten oh that's cute so it's just like a whole insular thing like you're just watching this little game playing and to the character it's just like he's a little board game character but when you get into a battle it's like oh this is really real for right. that character yeah it's interesting i like the the inception wise of it uh, uh you know you playing this character but technically playing a character playing that character in a way <laughs> yeah it's sort of not quite you because all the components are on the other side of the board but right um, and dive, diving a little deeper as far as, you know, that that um, exploration, so to speak. So I see a number of events. I see chests, some enemies throughout these worlds. You know, are there any other scenarios that we might encounter? Like, what can we expect to find on this map? Well, the the map stuff is generally just quite quite simple, really. 
there's just empty tiles, there's the random story events that can happen, battles, chests, the blacksmith who will upgrade your dice for money, and just a shop. I didn't want to go too in-depth with it mm -hmm. to sort of come up with a bunch of weird things, but, you know, the events themselves, just being a story event, there are you're given choices, some of them require you to roll your dice, sort of like a Dungeons & Dragons skill check. Mm-hmm to get a successful outcome to that story rather than just clicking an option. Some of them require HP. And yeah, as you wander around, some chests are mimics. There's a chance of it. Hmm. But it's, in general, it's like quite a simple board game. It just kind of came down to scope. I just wanted right. something achievable that I knew yeah. I'd be able to do without going well off the rails and spending five years making this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And I mean, the good thing about that, right, is is that's done in a scalable way. You know, you can always add more random events. You could always add, you know, different tiles if at any point you wanted to. Um, but I think it makes sense to to start off with those. And and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, kind of undermine the work that you're doing. You know, you say simple, but like there are, there are still a good amount of things that are in there included. Yeah, thanks. Um, the random events are already like a bane of my existence because <laughs> i got to do that 2d picture for it. at the time it sounded like a good idea but as i'm going on i'm like i don't want to do any more pictures for this <laughs> the event itself takes like five ten minutes to make and then i gotta spend an hour or two drawing a picture for it but it has to be done that's that's the problem with game development that a lot of stuff just has to be done yeah well I mean, you could always, you could always, you know, uh, outsource and ask the community to to get their their drawings in the game. Just do a fan competition to draw yeah. your own event. See, there you go. Um, let's talk about the actual combat itself in this game. So, before we go into any specific questions, could you just give us a quick rundown? You mentioned it a little bit of, but you know, how exactly does combat work in this game? What does the uh, you know enemy phase, player phase look like? So the turn-based combat is a standard 1v1 battle. You have your player character versus a single enemy on the other side. You always go first. From you, your character has four skills that are, that are attack, shield, and charge. And that every character has a unique special skill. So attack, shield, and charge are the same across all characters. And those are what you equip your dice to. So when you choose attack, you, it brings out your attack dice, you roll them, and that's the amount of damage you do. When you shield, that creates like a blocking barrier that just stops damage to your health points. Mm -hmm. And both attack and charge, shield, sorry, attack and shield, they drain your battery, but you use charge and it fills up your battery. But the added benefit of charging is it gives you a buff that then increases the value of your next roll as well so it's not just charging your battery you are doing it to get a secondary buff out of it hmm. and then as you use these three skills the values of the dice that you roll fill up your special bar and when your specials fall you can use your special skill for a unique effect across all the characters very cool uh can we uh focus on that charge bar a little bit so is this something where um kind of like uh you know pp in um Pokemon where you have a certain amount that you can use 
Um, in this case, you'd be able to re replenish it by using that charge move. But is this something where if for any reason your charge is at zero at a certain point, your option is literally only to charge or uh, is is there the ability to attack, but you just don't get an added bonus? Yeah, it's like PP that every time you roll the dice, if you roll five on your attack, you'll do five damage. It drains five battery. Gotcha. Every character has like different levels of battery. Uh -huh. So it's kind of up to you to manage that. But yeah, as it gets lower, if it does get to one and you roll a five attack, you'll do one damage because your battery is now empty. Oh. But you can still attack and shield. I didn't want to restrict that. We did try it for like a day and it was awful. So <laughs> we let people do it because of the the additional parts of combat that you have, which mm. are these status effects on the dice and the modules which are like the passive abilities that you can equip to your character right so the modules can give you extra dice for specific situations so i didn't want to say oh you can't because you can't you don't have enough battery to use your attack dice then you can't use any of this extra stuff so it's like you can you know you won't get any damage out of your main dice but all the rest can still activate it could still win you the battle in that regard gotcha so okay. it's worth allowing people to do it yeah that makes sense um what are the type of modifiers that can be added so those mod modules you talked about what exactly might those look like what are some like examples so simple modules you've got plus 10 hp plus 10 battery there's some which add that you always get to roll an attack dice a shield dice or a charge dice regardless of what you're doing so those are quite useful if you're if you've got one which is the always attack dice when you're shielding you know you're getting damage out if you're charging your battery you're getting damage out mm -hmm. uh there's some that work on the overworld so <clears throat> there's one which heals your health every time you explore a new tile there's some which give you potions when you win battles but the majority of them play into the status effects that you can equip onto your dice so, well, you don't equip them anymore. You you find them on the dice again. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the poison, your poison and your burn effect. So by rolling a dice, mm -hmm. there's a 50% chance, as shown on the dice, so three of the dice faces have a poison symbol on them. Mm -hmm. If the poison symbol finishes face up, the enemy gets poisoned. And from there, the module effects sort of benefit on that. So, like, you apply extra poison with the modifier. For a boss right. module, you become immune to poison and you just heal off the poison damage. Hmm. Even off the poison damage you've done to an enemy. And it's ways to mix up, well, just strengthen doing these specific status effect builds. Right. Just in interesting ways. Because we've got a static status effect. So when you charge your battery, you do damage to the enemy. Oh, that's nice. So you can just go all in on that and you never have to attack. You can just charge your battery all the time when you're just pounding the enemy with lightning. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, and then I wanted to ask because are those modifiers the same thing as the chips I noticed in this game as well? Are those the same things or are those something different? Those are something different. The modules have been like in the game from the start. They're just a bit that you equip. Those are passive abilities generally always a positive for you 
but the chips were a system that we I developed a year ago as there was a problem with the progression mm. that if you start the game and you like get a poison dice but then you go to the next level you're then given a dice that's stronger but it's not poison but you're doing a poison build so it's like well I either get rid of my poison dice and can't do a poison build anymore or I have to have a weaker dice mm -hmm. and that's not a particularly nice decision to have to make right so at that point I separated the status effect from the dice into this battle chip item so you equip a battle chip to your dice and then that gives the dice itself a status effect and you can change those around you can change the dice and it keeps the status effect or you change the chip around and it's the same dice but very recently just got to a problem where dice were basically worthless at this point which isn't very good for a game about dice <laughs> so chips have just gone again just got rid of got rid of them entirely so dice once again are found with status effects on you find a poison dice a fire dice instead of a dice and a poison chip that you can put onto it okay and it's generally made the game a lot stronger that you just find dice it just makes a lot more sense for the gameplay yeah. makes sense well i mean that's that's kind of you know the the state of something being in early access and still in development right things are going to change things are going to uh progress based on feedback <laughs> yeah even back at the start just before chips as well there were we had six dice that you could equip one but you swap between them mm -hmm. so you attacked once you used attack dice one and then you used attack dice two the next time you attack but nobody understood it <laughs> they're like when do i use the second one i thought i'd throw them both at the same time uh... um so that got gotten rid of and you just had three dice and then the chips came in so it made sense but now we got rid of chips and we've gone back to having six dice but in regards to the stat that each character has that i mentioned before you now equip the dice you find to your stat dice to right. sort of power it up yeah that makes sense yeah it's i mean it's it's a struggle right you gotta keep playing with what makes the most sense to that audience whoever that player base is what makes the most sense to make the game fun and still challenging but not you know to kind of at the end taper off of, of whether the dice are useful or not so i i think it's it's interesting seeing the inside of this game of how things are progressing and how they change even from the very start to now yeah it's been quite a good journey like a lot of the feedback i've gotten has made it a lot easier to understand as a developer it's quite easy to be well that obviously makes sense because that's how you made it right. but to other people it just doesn't make sense to them at all and that's when you've got to look at it and go actually yeah that doesn't make any sense so maybe <laughs> i should you just got to swallow your pride and realize that this thing you've done is not very like obvious for people playing the game yeah so it's probably worth removing it or changing it somehow well, that's good. I hope it's I hope it's for the better. It sounds like uh, it has been for those who are currently testing it. Um, oh, the last part I wanted to talk about with combat is around those four different characters that you mentioned. So in the Steam page, it mentions that they all have unique strengths, so to speak. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what those those differences are? I know you said they have that special attack, but 
it seems like they also have that their own special die uh, of sorts. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown between those characters? Uh, so you've got the four characters, which are focused around the three stats, the attack, the shield, and the charge. So Finn the Fox, the first character you have, is really good about at charging, so he's good at getting his battery back, which is good for beginning players, and because of all of his charging, he gets that charge bonus mm-hmm. for charging, which powers off his next attack. So it makes him a bit of an all-arounder. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then we just recently added weapons to the characters as well. Unlockable weapons, so Finn's unlockable weapons are sort of based around having like a high amount of battery and being able to get his battery back quickly. Hmm. Uh, we have Dottie the dog who focuses around attack, so she's a very attack focused character. She's not very good at shielding at all. And oh, yeah, there's passive ability, obviously. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Finn the fox's special ability gives him an extra dice when he's above a certain level of battery. So because he gets his battery back really easily, it's then up to you if you want to stay in that upper limit of battery to keep getting the bonus off of it. Right. And then Dottie the dog, she gets a bonus for attacking multiple turns in a row. Usually you'd have to take a separate turn to recharge your battery, but if Dottie keeps attacking, she keeps getting battery back for doing that. It's like an encouragement to say, you know, you're attacking, keep keep attacking, here's some battery, just keep doing it. Right. And her special you know, gives her dodge stacks so that she can avoid attacks because her shielding is just really bad. <laughs> so she's more evasive than defensive. Cool. And then we have Lix the Lizard, who is the shield character. And he was quite a departure for people who were used to playing Finn and Dotty because he gets a bonus. He's really strong at putting up a barrier. His physical attack is really weak. And his special ability reflects... So it's not half the damage he takes, it's half of the shield he has at the time. So Hmm. if he has 10 shield and takes damage, he hurts the enemy for 5 shield. For 5 damage, sorry. Right. So for him, it's worth sort of stacking up shield and just sort of letting the enemy kill itself off of that. Yeah. Yeah. But as well, he's really good at sort of the poison and the static builds, like sort of long stalling games. But as a consequence, he has very low HP. He's quite a frail. He's the frailest character in the game. Gotcha. And then you have Mecha Pepper, the red panda robot, (laughs) who is an all-around character. So because her stats are equal across the board, she can fit, you know, whatever role you, you start doing. Right. But her special ability changes what mode she's in every turn so that gives her an extra dice every turn to sort of make up for her not being strong in anything she's sort of strong in everything but (laughs) only so in the start of the fight she gets some battery back then the next turn she gets an extra attack dice and then the next turn she gets a shield dice and then goes back to a charge dice and that just happens every turn regardless of what you're doing just to help you along Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm and yeah, That's her cool. weapons are focused around just sort of being adaptable and being a robot, basically. And being a robot. Being like a robot. It. Yeah, that's good. She has a unique weapon which ties her battery and her health together. Ah. Which was an idea from someone on our Discord channel. 
And it's when you play it, it's really unique that when you attack, oh, your health has gone down as well. Right. But when you recharge your battery, your health goes back up. So it makes it really interesting to play compared to everyone else in the game who just generally can't get their health back. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I, I definitely enjoy the, the unique element of having you know the differences a lot of people when they they make those type of games where they're just like oh it's a different character and it's like oh, it's just this one's the tank and this one's the damage right but like that is a very much a unique change to it uh so i enjoy it i think that's pretty cool um somewhat related to combat but more pertaining to the story so you're defeating these enemies and at the end of them at least in the demo you're capturing these ghosts basically so what exactly is the point of all this is there like a main objective to capture as many as possible is the goal really just to continue to the end you know what are we doing here so following a three-act structure your mission is to capture the porter prince at the top of the tower so you start in the forest you just sort of work your way through the ghost capture the bear go through the hotel halls and you capture the butler and then you go through the attic to get to the roof where the porter prince is and that's to go the target for your mission gotcha. there's not really an explicit story for this people have said oh i wish there was more dialogue in the game where the characters talk to each other but story was never really my intention mm -hmm. i feel like it just kind of bogged me down i i can't really write a good story <laughs> and i didn't really want to start trying to write dialogue between characters is sort of certainly not one of my strengths right right and so i was like you know it's it's a game let's just play the game let's not worry about how the characters feel at the time you know they're, they're all kind of brave they're all trained for this so yeah unfortunately there's not a story but you are trying to capture the polter prince at the end of the game gotcha yeah okay makes sense um it's important also to note at the time of this recording, we kind of already mentioned it, but the game is currently in early access and it has been for a few months now or so. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about how just generally that early access phase has been for you. It sounds like it's been a positive one, um, but also how close you feel you are to that 1.0 release. Um, well, early access has been decent. I suppose maybe my uh, expectations were maybe a bit misplaced with early hmm. access. How so? I thought, you know, oh, I go into early access and then like people would join in because they want to help with development and they'll, you know, be chatting at you all the time like, oh, this is too strong and change this and I have this good idea. But really the amount of people who have bought the game compared to those who actually join in and mm -hmm. are like, they test it and they give their feedback it's very low hmm. like we're looking you know maybe five people really wow that sort of just want to be there as the game is developing right like maybe some people who bought it sort of want to get it when it's, it's cheapest or yeah. you know they play it's just it an it's investment like, for them yeah or it's like a new thing to try out so it's like oh this game's like released, but it's not actually finished. But mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. like, oh, it's a new thing. I'll give that a try. But yeah, I I didn't really need early access to be, uh, you know, like a promotional thing. I really did want it to be a, you know, get in here and help me test it because I'm doing this by myself. I right. obviously have a very, I'm sort of in a bubble 
when I'm doing it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, that's a shame to hear because yeah, the early access window is definitely like that's the the idea behind it. At least that's how I envision it. But I I could see that there's there's probably some people out there who just want to pick it up so that they can have it for later. Or like, I mean, even you know, in the seat that I am, being someone who helps out a lot of uh, indie developers and talks about the games, like I frequently don't stick with a game through its entirety of early access there's a lot of times where i'll probably pick up a game i'll play it i'll give feedback and then i'll be like all right i'll wait till 1.0 right and there's probably other people like like me who who do that and it, i guess it can be discouraging in that sense yeah from what i've seen generally the reputation of early access has gone down that it mm. seems like a lot of people would rather just wait until the 1.0 launch Mm -hmm. which is probably where I got the expectation that, oh, if so many people want to wait for launch, then those who actually do get it would be invested. More involved, yeah. Yeah, more involved. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. That is an interesting point. I mean, it could be, you know, historically, there's been a lot of people who have done early access uh, when this first became a thing and kind of burnt some people out, I would say. Maybe that's kind of a, a reason towards it, but, you know. Who knows really why someone does what they do. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I mainly asked because I noticed, uh, you know, you mentioned that an early access launch, you were still adding some levels. So I kind of wanted to see also how many sections there will be in the full game if we're still sticking with that, that uh, you know, the, the three phases. It kind of sounds like it based on the story that you gave me. Um, but also in addition to that, about how long do you anticipate it will take for someone to complete a run? So when the game launched in Early Access, it launched with just two of the three areas. The intention was always to do three areas, a three-act structure. Yep, okay. Just to, you know, the whole scope, keep it manageable, keep it mm -hmm. achievable, since I had to make enemies for each area, the random events for each area, uh, and just the general, like the whole battle arena as well. That takes a little while. So it's just to make sure that it's something that I could do Right. And so, was it like two two months or a month into early access? I released the attic, the third area as well. And then from there, like that's that's been it. That's all the areas for the game done. Yep. So there's still scope to add like more random events as I go. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of polish still. Yeah, I recently added three more enemies to each area, as each area had four enemies and a boss. Hmm. That it now has five enemies and a boss. Then I added these mini-boss-type enemies, which are actually just two enemies sort of joined together. Hmm. So okay. it uses some of one's abilities and some of the other's abilities, and they sort of share dice. So it's like a tougher enemy, but if you beat it, you get some of the similar rewards to a boss. Right. So it's worth doing if you can. Mm -hmm. uh the average run i'm aiming for is about 30 to 45 minutes okay yeah that's, that seems so pretty standard something that's very easily achievable in a lunch break because that's quite important <laughs> i think that you play say the spire and sometimes it runs on like an hour or so right but on the other hand you play dicey dungeons and dicey dungeons does get you through in about that time you feel like maybe you could do two runs in a lunch break it's like being the roguelike genre is quite snackable, yeah, which yeah. is good. And something that you 
for newer players you don't want to feel like oh i've got to play this for you know an hour and a half to get to the boss at the end and have a go at that so just recently as well changed the game to have like a few more levels mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. instead of doing every area once you did two areas and then the boss and then two areas then the boss two areas then the boss and it just left the game at about an hour long i was like this is far too long so right. i've had to chop that out that you now just do one area then the boss to hopefully just bring the game down to the time that i'm aiming for because i don't want it to be i don't want it to be a big slog i would just want you know you dip in you can save between every area that if you can't play for that long you can just do a little bit and it's not not a huge investment sometimes yep, yep. like that i think that's quite important for people who are sort of newer to the genre or newer to games that it's not something that's going to suck up a lot of their time yeah i think that makes sense um i i wanted to talk you mentioned that roguelite element of it right i wanted to talk about progression in the game you know since this is a roguelite usually this is characterized by some form of progression that carries over between runs whether that be you know a, a very small uh leveling system of abilities or whether that's you know a few added perks that you get that make you a little bit stronger to make it easier for you is there any form of leveling or changing to the character once a run is finished none at all it in structure the game is actually quite like a roguelike but it okay. just doesn't meet i don't think it meets enough of the criteria to be a roguelike gotcha so there's no progression between runs every run you start from the exact same place depending on the character mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so every run can be completed there's no oh you know you gotta grind until your hp gets high enough or your attack damage gets high enough like right. as soon as you pick up the game the first run with finn the fox you can potentially just win the game right but if you win the game with the character you will unlock weapons for their character which change how they play okay yeah and that's based on how many times you've won so there's a bit of sideways progression there and there'll be special missions that you can take on that will modify how the run is played mm -hmm. so the ones i've got right now are no shops appear so if no shops appear you can't upgrade your dice you can't buy potions if you're taking a lot of damage to heal yourself and one which is drafting mode to the game so instead of finding chests you get given a dice and a module at the start of every floor and you have to make it work so that's cool. and you can have both of these at the same time they're not split up you can just put on as many of these modifiers as you want at a time very cool i like it i like it um so first off thank you for coming on obviously um i have one final question i always like to wrap these up with some advice from you know the people in the indie space um and you being someone who has you know, just getting into that as far as doing your own thing right now, which is very exciting and also very chaotic, I'm sure. Uh, do you have any advice or tips for others who might be in your position that are wanting to get into the space, wanting to create their own games? You know, what's something that you've learned along the way that has helped you? I think the most important part for me was just learning that actually by doing a few tutorials that it did sink in and i just understood how it worked i mean it has helped that i've had my friends at work who could help me out 
with bits I got stuck on. Mm -hmm. But just through doing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of get how this works. It did relate back to the visual scripting that I'd right. done the year before. So if you're struggling with regular code, maybe look into visual scripting where you just connect specific bits of code with a flowchart and it all just runs through that. You can see how it all works. And mm. I think that gave a good foundation to then moving over to learn the proper code and just start start with the prototypes. That's the important thing. Like I found out that from doing Playmaker, I was like, well, these examples are a bit rubbish, but <laughs> as you work through them, you realize that it's taught you a lot of the foundations in how to do specific things like triggering doors with buttons and doing damage zones and inventory menus and moving a character and it mm -hmm. actually just then comes together it's principles that you can apply all over so right. it's a, a lot less like oh this thing is this very specific instance you learn something which can then be applied to loads of things so I also see a lot of people sort of worry that, oh, I can't do it. I'm not very good at art. I'm not very good at code. I don't get it. Just got to do it. That's the thing. <laughs> There's not much else to say. Like if you spend I your know. time worrying that you can't do it, that's time that you could have spent just doing it. Yeah, that's my favorite piece better. of advice. <laughs> Sometimes you just need that, right? It's like, it could be a very... Um intimidating task to start anything new really it doesn't have to be just game development it could be anything but you're never gonna know uh if you can do it if you don't try exactly you don't want to spend all those days saying oh i can't do it i can't do it because then you've just spent a month saying you can't do it when in a month's time you easily could have could have got it going yeah, very true. Now, for those listening, Fuzz Force Spook Squad is currently in early access. So if any of this sounded interesting to you, go check it out. Uh, go head over to their Steam page. You know, if you want to be uh, possibly the next person that helps out Alan, maybe you'll be the sixth person that's helping <laughs> him out. You know, uh, pick it up. Uh, give us uh, feedback. You know, how's it going? Let them know so that they can make the uh, the greatest game they can, right? Um, or if you know you're one of those people who wants to wait till the 1.0 release, be sure to wishlist it because it does help with discoverability, and then you'll be able to pick it up the minute it comes out. Uh, Alan, once again, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.